welcome to the GIST podcast, where we come together to meet the many wonderful people who make GIST what it is. A place where students learn to be self-directed, globally engaged, balanced, and future-ready. I'm Morgan. And I'm Mindy. And we're your hosts. For as long as there's been education, people have been asking the question of how do we prepare students for their future? But the question of how to prepare students for an unknown future has taken on new emphasis in recent years as jobs are changing faster than we can predict. GIST has built the target of preparing students to be future ready into its strategic plan. But what does that actually mean and how do we do that in practice? To help answer that question, we're talking to two experts who are instrumental in the quest to help prepare GIST students for an unknown future. This week, we speak to Justine Smythe, our amazing principal here at the GIST Elementary Pontic Inda campus. And we also speak with Tanya Latanzio, a renowned educator, workshop leader, author, expert on concept-based education, and consultant for GIST. Justine, Tanya, thank you both for coming on the podcast. Oh, wow. What an amazing um, entry. I think we should just stop right there. <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, um, you're not going to be let off that easy, Justine. I was just thinking, how often do you get to interview your own principal? So I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to be careful with my answers. And it was so lovely to be to be talking um, with you and also with Tanya this morning because we go back way back, don't we, Tanya? Yes, we do. We've known each other for a very, very long time. Um, I think that's got to be almost, it's 23 years, I think. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Can you yeah, actually, can you tell us a little bit about that? How'd you two meet and kind of come to this place in your career? Um, well, we're both from an IB world. We started our careers overseas working in IB schools. And actually, Tanya, you when I first knew you, you were working here in Indonesia. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Um, and so, yeah, so Tanya was working here in Indonesia, in Bogor, and I was working at Eunice in Hanoi. And um, the IB had just come to Asia and they were looking for um, some people who were inquiry-based um, to set up a little bit of a committee. And so I know at Eunice Hanoi, I was part of that committee um, to bring um, the International Baccalaureate into that school. And I know, Tanya, you worked pretty hard to bring it yeah. into yours. Is that in right? Yeah, to do the same thing. And there was, a, there was quite a small group back then. And so okay. we were relying on each other a lot professionally to navigate what that looked like and how it came about. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that what happened, there was like six or seven of us, and I know that there was another lady in China, uh, Julie Lawton, who was also grappling with it in Beijing. And and so we're all saying like, well, how do we do a parent workshop about, you know, concept-driven curriculum and inquiry-based uh, methodology when no one's done it before? So we kind of all banded together and tried to work on that. So that actually brings up a, a question that our listeners might be very curious about as they're starting to get into this topic with you. Could you describe for us what inquiry teaching even is? And maybe Justine, do you want to tackle that question? Oh man, I thought that was going to be a <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it means different things to different people. And I think I think first off, maybe if if I start and then Tanya, you jump in because that is that's basically your bread and butter, right? So for me, um, inquiry-based uh, teaching and methodology is all about concepts uh, rather than knowledge. And I think that what we want to do is uh, look at the the bigger picture and try and work out what makes sense to somebody. And I think, you know, for us, you need to promote that curiosity and that wonder that lives so beautifully in children and really nurture that so that they can 
really find out for themselves rather than it being, you know, way back when we were in at school when we were just given content, content, content. It's so easy to get content now. That's not the problem. It's it's about, you know, how do you make sense of what's out there? That's a little bit in a nutshell. Um, Tanya, do you want to take over from that? I've got more, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's absolutely right. Um, the whole point of inquiry learning is really to motivate learners to want to learn. We want students to be curious. We want them to be interested in the world. We want them to wonder. And we know when students are curious that they learn more. So a big part of inquiry learning is encouraging that curiosity and that wonderment. And it doesn't really matter how old students are. We know we're motivated to learn when we want to learn something. Thing. So that's a big part of it. And the other big part of inquiry that Justine talked about as well, it's that idea of sense making. It's not something that you can really tell students that like they've got to make sense of their learning. They've got to come to an understanding of their learning. And ultimately, that's what inquiry is. It's that idea that I'm constructing my own knowledge, my own understanding around something. So when I'm going through an inquiry methodology, I come away with an understanding, not just knowing because I've had to find it myself in a way. And of course, a big part of that is also that idea of inquiry skills. So how do we learn? You know, um, interviewing, observing, recording, research findings, all of that sits within inquiry as well. And of course, you know, critical thinking being such a big part of that lens, which is so key for our learners today. So I sort of sum up inquiry in a way where, as I say, you know, is this something that I tell students or is there something I can put in front of it so they discover it themselves? And then they're telling me. So because in that discovery, they've made sense of it. So you've got the sense making and then you've also got that idea of students asking questions and being able to follow their questions. So they're learning how to learn and they're developing all of those inquiry skills as a part of that, which are essential for life. Right. What do you think, um, I'll go back to Justine really quickly, uh, and what do you think is the biggest misconception around inquiry? Well, I, I'm going to do it from two different lenses. I think that from a teacher's point of view, um, some teachers believe, and I think that this is what we've got to work on, that inquiry only lives in social studies and science. Mm -hmm. And so then they say, right now we're going to do inquiry time. But if you're really taking on what Tanya was talking about, about making sense of things, then we need to be doing inquiry for the whole time. And then as parents, we need to adopt that um, and I wish I'd done a better job of it when, as, a, as a parent myself, um, you know, in, including inquiry at home so that we're not feeding our kids all the answers and rescuing them all the time from situations where it's kind of good to make sense of something that might maybe happen that wasn't so great um, and, and let them go through that that kind of problem-solving situations because they will make sense of it and they'll know not to do it next time or they'll learn from it and do it in a different way next time. It's all That's all inquiry. So I think the biggest misconception that is inquiry is everywhere and our job as teachers is to nurture that and our job as parents is also to nurture that. Absolutely. Can you think of any concrete examples you'd like to talk about from classrooms at Pi that you've seen? With inquiry, yeah, of course. Um, well, actually, Tanya can help me with this one too. So we worked, Tanya came 
to work with us um, in February and we were looking at a grade four unit on migration. Do you remember that? And so they were really, we were trying to take it from really thinking about, oh, this many people migrate at this time of the year, blah, 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 to really thinking about things like um, why do people migrate and what stories come out of migration. So like looking at it from a broader perspective and bringing in things like empathy, and making sure that it's the stories that uh, of what happens when people migrate that are something that we should hold on to. Yeah, that's a that's a really good example. So we're talking a lot about inquiry, and this idea of concept based teaching keeps coming up as well. Just so again, just for our listeners, so we can frame this a little. Um, Tanya, do you think you could address this idea of what concept based teaching? looks like yeah it's basically the difference between teaching a topic or a fact to focusing on understanding so when we talk about concepts they're those really broad abstract timeless universal ideas that transcend transcend our world right they they live in our world and they're transferable so they're transferable ideas and the difference is i can know something and knowing is you know it whereas the idea and it's not very static whereas when we talk about conceptual learning we're talking about understanding that grows and that develops and so for instance you know you could be looking at world war ii and you might learn a lot of facts about World War II, a lot about the people but what we would be doing is making that shift and saying well actually the big concepts around this are power causation and impact right so now all of a sudden and conflict of course as well so you're looking yeah. at conflict causation and power and all of a sudden now you've got three big ideas that hold this understanding together that are transferable so whilst i might be doing a case study on world war ii someone else might be looking at a completely different conflict and because we're looking at it through the lens of power conflict and causation we can have discussions and so we're building transferable understanding as opposed to I'm learning about this topic and I'm going to learn a lot of knowledge that's very static about this topic as opposed to now I'm moving it to this concept where I can keep growing that. Actually, I can connect that to my own personal conflict. I can connect that to conflicts I read in literature. So now we have transferable ideas that we can build a schema around and continue to understanding and transferable ideas that sit in our world and that are really important to know and understand. And I think we can we can actually anchor that into our grade fives who are doing a unit on conflict. And so they were looking at conflict in terms of wars and things like that. But also our counsellors were talking to the kids about conflict on the playground because we were finding that that was, and we kind of married those two together. So we were looking at the social and emotional state as well as something that comes happens in social studies. And it was a perfect marriage. Yeah. And I mean, when you teach that way, like that really actually means something to the kids too, right? right? Because you can learn this, whatever history or whatever it is that you're trying to teach. And it it will be something that they might remember if you're lucky, but it doesn't really have any kind of application into their lives. And what you're describing yeah. has a practical application to their lives. Like what you just said, Justine, that will make an impact on how they interact with their siblings at home or how they interact in the playground. And yeah, and then they can apply it to these much bigger concepts as well. Yeah, so absolutely. In and going out. Yeah. yeah. So 
this i mean i i think this all sounds amazing obviously i really believe in this style of education both concept-based learning and inquiry which are both closely related as you've described why do you think not everybody teaches this way well, I think that there's a fear, you know, like, you know, I think that if you go into a national system, um, there's also a political element that comes with it, right? And I think that, um, you know, there's that fear of are my are the children of today getting what they need for the future? And so there's always some standardised testing that comes with it and, and a fear that the content is not, is not really being provided. So I think for me... I think that it all comes around educating our um, adults rather than educating our students because our students will absolutely be married to inquiry. It's so much fun to do and, you know, we set up the curriculum for that. But we have to actually tell our parents that this is the way of the future. This is the best way to learn. How many times were you sitting in a classroom when you were younger and not really interested in the topic at hand? Um, where can we get choice and voice into the into our curriculum so that the children can drive the curriculum rather than the adults driving the curriculum? Those sort of things are really exciting and those sort of things can live within our realm of curriculum, um, even if we're standards-based okay. because it's it's the how we do it, not the what we do. Yeah. And that's something we, we're going to talk about in, in a minute because I think that's a really big part of our question at this school, but I think any school is how to do the two of those things well, being standards-based right. and making sure that you're covering the content, but also in the way that we're describing. So what would you say, maybe Tanya, how would you describe one of the biggest challenges to teaching conceptually? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is that you've got to let go mm -hmm. and have total trust in students that they'll do the right thing. Um, you know, when you teach conceptually and you're teaching through inquiry you're you're leaving space in that learning for students you're leaving space for their interests you're leaving space for their questions whereas often what happens is a lot of teachers like to be planned for a whole for everything yeah. and what happens is that you know you're planning your planning is so tight that there isn't that space in that for that so i think a lot of it is this idea of of, um, but if I don't plan that, then the students won't get to where I need them to get to. So I've got to plan it. So I think a lot of it is trust. Um, I think when we trust our students to do the right thing, that their questions are going to be amazing and we teach them how to question, of course. I mean, you know, I think one of the biggest myths about inquiry is that there's no direct instruction. Like some students need direct instruction. They're not, you know, I always say, you know, I'm not going to give a child a javelin and go, oh, good luck with that. I hope you do really well. Um, you know, so <laughs> it depends on the learning taking place. But sometimes students need a little bit more direct instruction because they may not be getting it. But it's not that everyone needs it at the same time depending on what you're doing and so i think it's teaching those skills and teaching children the skills to be inquirers is a really big part of it but i think what teachers do is they get really bogged down in getting through things instead of being responsive to students yeah and that's the biggest thing and the biggest hurdle i think to get over is um you know i just i always say to teachers you want students to blow your mind and if you're not allowing that to happen, there you're. It's it's a very teacher directed type of learning. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's really hard to 
um, look at, you know, you go into a, a planning session and you can see a unit of inquiry that is planned out from week one to week six. And so there's no student voice in there. So trying to nurture the teachers into saying, look, just, just plan the beginning. You know, you've got your end in mind. You know where you want to end up. Plan the beginning and stop and wait and listen and then go ahead and plan. But uh, there is that kind of, oh, we don't have time factor that always comes into play. Um, but when you plan too much, you put so much pressure on everybody. Right. Yeah. And I do think, you know, hearing you speak, I think that's so important too, because it starts from the top. Because if you have uh, teachers that are feeling like they have to, you know, cover everything in a certain timeline in a certain way, it's going to be really hard for them to have that, you know, flexibility within the classroom. Um, so, which is why we have somebody like Tanya coming in and consulting with us. And I was, just going to describe a little bit of what she does. I'm very fortunate because I get to be in some of the planning meetings, a lot of the planning meetings actually with Tanya. So she comes in and she works with all of the elementary uh, teachers um, in planning meetings to help um, plan in this sort of conceptual inquiry-based way, but really tied into standards. And one of the things I have to say I love the most about meetings with you is you often, as you're planning, really early on in the planning process, ask the teachers, okay, why? What is the reason for this? Why are the students learning this? So what would you say? Why is that an important question to ask early on in the planning process? Yeah, um, I just I think if you don't have a why, you've got to be questioning why you're teaching something. There should always be the why, um, you know, and it, it will. Uh, Dan, um, no, but, um, who talks about the why coming first? Simon Sinek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we've got to know our why before the what and the how. And I think sometimes what happens is teachers just start planning without actually having a really thorough reflection on is this worth learning? Right. Is this something that students should be learning? Um, and if so, why? And I think if you can't justify the reason why, then you've got to take a step back and think, well, how do we give it that why? Because when a child says to us, why am I learning this? We should be able to answer. It right. shouldn't be, you know, when I was at school where they go, you just have to learn it. Um, we should be able to say to them, well, you're learning this because of this. And that's when I think when you teach conceptually, you have that why, because there's such big, broad ideas that are transferable to students' lives. You know, we're able to give them the why. Um, but I think it's just too easy to plan, 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 and not actually reflect and have that really major discussion as a teaching team is this worth learning why are we doing this with our students and you know it might be that it's skill focus which is absolutely fine it might be that you really want to focus on a design process it might be that you want to build understanding but you you've got to be able to understand the why yeah for sure and i have to say just as a side note, when you do ask that question, you can actually see the entire planning process really open yeah. up. Yeah. And the teachers have, may have done a similar unit before um, and just kind of gone through it, but it really starts them to think, okay, yeah, actually, let's reflect back on the why. And then, you know, it just kind of, it drives yeah. the, the whole process. Yeah, so I think it well. gives them purpose and understanding yeah. as to why they're doing it with exactly. students as well. And you just feel more confident, I think, going into something that has meaning. Exactly. So just thinking a bit more about this, Justine, this idea about, you know, preparing students for the future. And you guys have touched a lot on how you would describe, you know, a really good model for preparing students for the future. But I think that you also touched a bit on this idea of it can be a bit, there can be a bit of fear that perhaps you're not necessarily going to be able to 
cover some of these fundamental skills or some of this fundamental knowledge and still teach in this way. So what would you say is the key to doing that? Yeah, you know, when we when we look at, at the way that our school in particular is structured with, you know, like standards and an inquiry lens on, so it's the what we teach with the how we teach it um, all put in together. I think the most successful way to do that is to make sure that your, what we call, it's very teacher speak, it's called transdisciplinary rather than silos. When you're teaching in silos, so you only teach language, you only teach maths at math time, you only teach social studies, then the content takes over and the concepts take a back seat. But like we were talking about before, if you can transfer those or, or make them transdisciplinary and really if you're looking at something like um, the conflict, when when what are we doing in our literacy at that time? What are we doing in our social-emotional at that time? How can we marry it all together so that it's, we're helping the children make sense a little bit more and we're compacting the curriculum mm -hmm. so that there's more time and there's more space to a to really apply things a little bit more deeply. And I think what I took away from when Tanya was here is that, yeah, we can go through a whole unit and it can be really great, but if we don't apply and transfer it, we haven't done our jobs. Mm -hmm. That's the children applying and transferring it to a different situation. Then they're really still stuck in that, you know, that first one or two um, rungs on the ladder of really just not even synthesizing, they're still stuck on recall. So we want them to be able to internalize it and use it in a new situation. So to be future ready is what you were talking about, right, Mindy? Yeah. yeah exactly. But to be future ready, I think that the only way to do that is, A, we need to be a little bit more transdisciplinary, still have our standards, but be transdisciplinary. But we also need to... Um, make sure that we're not overcrowding our curriculum because that doesn't allow for choice and voice from the kids. And that's what excites me as a principal. That's what drives me. And I'm, you know, this is my fifth year here and I still think we've got quite a bit of work to do um, to bring out that student voice into the work that we're doing. And it is exciting stuff when you know that they can take over the, their own learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I really, I think one of the really important things that you said in there too is this idea of it, it creates time because mm -hmm. inquiry actually takes a lot of time. It is, it is slower in terms of just going through the material. I can go through the material much quicker. I might not be yeah. actually, the students might not be actually learning it, but I can go through it if I'm teaching in a more direct way. But by adding this transdisciplinary element, you're actually creating more time because it's tying in the curriculum together and it makes it much more the students are actually going to be getting something out of it. They're actually learning a lot more. So, yeah, that's really powerful. Thank you. Well, one thing that we uh, have been mentioning a few times is this idea of the fact that we are standards-based. So, Tanya, could you just touch on that a little bit more about structuring inquiry and meeting standards, that whole idea? Yeah, um, you know, I work with a lot of schools, of course, that have got standards. Uh, it's, it's unusual for schools not to. And it's that <laughs> idea, really, I talk about what we're doing is we're reframing the standards. We're reframing the standards to put them under conceptual units. So whenever, um, you know, when I work with the beautiful teams at GIS, it's been such a pleasure to work with them, such great teachers and so willing to take on new ideas. You know, our starting point is the standards. And so we're saying if these are the standards, but what is it about these standards we want students to understand? Mm -hmm. 
So we've got our standards and they, they can be quite knowledge-based or quite skill-based, but then from there we're saying, but what is it we want to understand about those standards? So the idea being that the conceptual nature of the unit is connected to the standards. So they don't get lost. Um, but what we're doing is we're saying, well, this is what you need to know or these are the skills you need, but now we're going to put it under a framework of understanding that's worth learning about. Mm -hmm. And so it's a whole reframing really of the curriculum. It's cutting those standards up, looking at where they fit, what units can we create from them to ensure that, um, you know, we've got learning worth learning, but you're, you're non-negotiable in a way is those standards. And so it's that idea. And I think sometimes what can happen is that teachers get really bogged down in them. Um, so one of the most important things for any teacher is just to really unpack what those standards mean. You know, so we're, we're as a teaching team, teaching grade two, when we look at that standard, we're all really clear what it means because sometimes we can come in with a very adult mind of the standards and we, we take them into areas that are not really there. And so I think knowing our standards is really key and then reframing them under a conceptual umbrella. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think at, at Pi, sorry, and Pal, what we try and do is when we unpack those standards, we look at it and we reframe it and under what Definitely. what can the children understand and be able to do. Otherwise, if we don't do that, you end up with a checklist of standards and that's yes. what the, oh, yep, they can do that. Yep, they can do that. And we don't want that. Yeah. Would you care to go a little deeper into that and tell us an example of how how your team has worked to unpack that yeah i mean well, that's why we that that's why we get tenure in actually <laughs> because really you know our planners the way that we have them we have a whole section where we have all the standards all kind of written down and we get with our teams and tanya helps us with this and we unpack it to say okay what what do they need to know and what are they able to do from that? And then from there, we really talk about um, the next thing is a rubric of understanding. Tanya, do you want to take them through a rubric of understanding just in terms of what that looks like, which helps us unpack those standards and get them out of the way so that we can teach good stuff? Yeah. So what we do is once we, we, we connect, so we'll have some essential questions that the standards are connected to, um, and they have to fit under an essential question to make sure we're covering it. But then what we look at is as a team, we're really trying to come together to unpack that and think about what that means. And so we create what we call a rubric of understanding, which is this idea of if we're thinking about students along a continuum of understanding, what might that look like? How do we know if, if they've understood that? And when you take the time to do that with teachers everyone's on the same wavelength in terms of where this unit's heading how they get there could be different ways based on students based on their questions based on their interests but that idea that but this is the understanding that we're looking for and we're all really really clear that this is where we're heading with these units around these three questions and then that idea then that everything we plan for comes back to students being successful in that and so it's very purposeful planning. So for and an example, that space. Sorry, Justine. Sorry, Tanya, I cut you off. <laughs> um, so for an example of that, one of the units that Tanya worked with again with grade four, let's go back to that migration unit. So one of the essential questions is why do people migrate? And the rubric for understanding is I can compare and contrast why people migrate. I can explain the similarities and differences about why they migrate. And I can, I can, sorry, 
explain the similarities and the differences, and I can justify my responses. That's just one area where the example of if you don't have those essential questions, you could easily just do a fact-finding mission. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's that it's that transfer in the in the comparing and contrasting. To, yeah. You're not just looking at one one migration to really transfer and compare and contrast. You've got to have a general understanding around that. I, I yeah. think that's really important for listeners out there but how could you plan for inquiry and then even assess something like that and it, i think that's really important how you describe that is that you set up that assessment that rubric for mm -hmm. understanding really early in the process um mm -hmm. based around the standards i noticed that what you're describing in that rubric it's not just a standard in terms of content but you're also assessing the skills like so right. that we know the compare and contrast as an example is a really important skill that you'd be building up with the students yeah. Yeah. And I think that the level of understanding as you go through or the level of the essential questions becomes deeper and deeper. For example, you know, that was a pretty kind of well, low level question in terms of why do people migrate? But as you go down that rubric of understanding, the next one is um, how can you understand that telling stories of migration can build empathy and understanding is the question. And then what children should be able to do is I can explain how listening to stories of migration has helped me to understand others and helps me to build empathy. And so that's huge. That's absolutely huge for a 10-year-old to be able to, to do and to share with others, right? Yeah. And what's really cool about that, um, just as somebody who works on the outside of the classroom but within classrooms, is when you have that kind of planning, we can connect to it. So yeah. you can have something like, building empathy by listening to stories. And, you know, the counselor could come in and connect with that, or you can connect with a librarian. There's lots of different connections across different disciplines that really builds up that understanding for, for students and makes it really robust. And I think that's the thing. I mean, I think if anything, people talk about, um, you know, learning. I mean, I think inquiring concepts makes learning more rigorous. Mm -hmm far more rigorous than if you're just looking at standards because standards you can know but all of a sudden if i'm having to explain how through learning about migration um i understand people and that how stories can help me empathize that's 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 important like that's again that idea that that's something worth knowing um and worth spending time on so you know that's far more rigorous than just you know let's just read stories of migration for no real reason or purpose but to right. understand facts about migration right yep and seeing how you know you know we live in a pretty transient society and so you know we we have our stories on migration ourselves of what what that is and and the reasons behind it and so it, it helps that that whole sense of how you're going to set up that provocation for children to share their story um share their time it, that's exciting stuff rather than you know Let's just hear about somebody else's migration story in China, for example, the biggest migration every year. You know, that doesn't mean much to a lot of us, right? Well, listening to both of you speak today is so exciting. And I have to say, we're in curriculum review for performing arts right now. And I haven't been able to do much of my unit planning the last few weeks because we've been extremely busy. But you're getting me excited about going back to my essential questions and thinking about transfer skills and everything. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> um, uh, one other, we do, have, we do have to wrap up, even though I would love to hear so much more from you. Um, Justine, I have a feeling where we might be 
be going with this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What excites you about the future of GIS right now? All of this, I think that we are in our infancy of really discovering. I know that we've been doing inquiry for quite a long time in the elementary school here at GIS, but I think it's taking a new direction. And I think that we're opening up to some really great possibilities. I know that, um, that Mindy in her role, uh, really helping us looking at our curriculum and how we can look at possibilities in our curriculum is just vital to getting that choice and voice happening and to really, you know, kind of not blowing it up because we don't want to do that. We are standards-based school, of course, but really thinking about how we teach and what's best for kids. I think that that's exciting stuff. And I, we can't do it alone. And so having, you know, consultants, experts like Tanya along to guide us and setting up those rubrics for understanding, they're key. Because if we didn't have that rubric for understanding and we didn't understand why we're doing this unit, we'd still be stuck in content for sure. Yeah, that's All right. So last questions here. I don't know. I think you may have known this was coming, but we asked some students um, if they had some questions for you. These are for Justine. Um, <laughs> All right. So <laughs> these were all the way from grade one to grade five students. We can ask Tanya at least one of them. Yeah, you can ask Tanya. Okay, Tanya, you get the first one. Tanya, what's your favorite color? Oh. <laughs> My favorite color would be blue. Blue. Okay, that's good. Uh, okay, so this one that has to be for Justine. Justine, yes. what is it like to be a principal? Is it stressful? Sometimes. What I like about being a principal is that I get to talk to a lot of people all of the time. So I'm here talking with Morgan and Mindy and Tanya. That excites me because I don't usually get to talk to you guys. I I love talking to teachers that swing by, but I also love talking to all the children and they walk past our offices all the time. We're like, hi, how are you? What's going on today? I bump my head playing soccer or whatever it is. Just talking is what excites me about about being here. That's awesome. And the last question is, is our new playground going to be like an amusement park? It is! <laughs> our new playground is amazing! Oh, okay, that's what excites me right now. <laughs> I'm excited by that. I can't wait to come back and see it. Yeah. Oh, Tanya, you should see it right now. It's looking amazing. The so um, exciting. Yeah. The tree houses are done. The boat is in. The, the, the sensory home. Yep, looks like the dragon up. Yeah, I know. We've got about yeah, I miss, sorry, sorry, I have a five year old and I missed something about there's a boat. There's a boat. <laughs> yep. This is thrilling. I know because it's all under the Indonesian theme. And so there's volcanoes and water and yep, it's really great. It's gonna so be I fantastic. Think, I think you need a name for it then, Justine. If it's an amusement park, we need a like the, I don't know, Dragon Amusement Park or something. I hadn't thought of like actually naming the whole playground, but I'll put that in, uh, in our associate principal, Tracy's hands. Okay, there you <laughs> go. It's so exciting. <laughs> you get the kids through a whole process with this, bringing their voices into it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's the plan. Speaking of choice and voice and, and really putting it into fruition, um, our plan is that before we open the playground, that we're going to give every grade level from grade one to grade five the opportunity to go in and play and give us suggestions about how things should be played on that piece of equipment so their voice is coming in rather than us going don't do this don't do that don't do this don't do that right like saying yeah we want we want to play we want to 
you know, the dragon, for example, come and climb me, come and, you know, be imaginative and all those sort of things. So we'll Lovely. see how that goes. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you both so much. It has been such a pleasure having oh, the two of you, you on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank it you wasn't so as much. scary as what I thought the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> but any, uh, and, uh, no, it's, it's been great to talk to both of you, Mindy and Morgan. And, and Mindy, as you know, and I've said to you, I just, I just appreciate what you offer in those planning meetings. So I can't thank you enough. But And also thank you to all the teaching teams that I get to collaborate with and learn alongside. It's been just such a such an incredible joy to have the chance to work at JIS. It's been really wonderful. Well, we are very lucky to have you. And thanks again for coming on the podcast.